Hello everyone, I'm Kate Braug and this is The Pivotal Moment. Together we will talk to 100 of the most inspiring and powerful women entrepreneurs in New York. They will tell us about what it takes to set up your own company, how to be the architect of your own career, and how they are reshaping the business world. I'm an entrepreneur myself and I'm looking forward to hearing their stories along with you. Today I'm speaking with Kit Kemp. Kit Kemp is the Tina Turner of the interior design world. The British royal family sip their teas from Kit's custom-designed Wedgwood tea sets, and celebrities such as Daniel Craig, Demi Moore, and Penelope Cruz passionately frequent her designed hotels. Kit is the co-founder and creative director for Firmdale Hotels and the Kit Kemp Design Studio. With more than 10 properties in both London and New York City, Firmdale Hotels is best known for its unique, vibrant, and refreshing interiors, featuring both whimsical detail and artistic flair. Over the years, Kit has forged an internationally acclaimed reputation, not only for her unique interior design, but also as a successful originator of textiles, fragrance, and homeware. A highly respected champion of British art, craft, and sculpture, Kit has been awarded an MBE by Her Majesty the Queen, an honor Kit shares with cultural figures such as Ringo Starr, Adele, and Ad Sheeran. Kit routinely collaborates with leading global design brands such as Wedgwood, Wilton Carpets, Andrew Martin, Anthropology, Christopher Farr, Chelsea Textiles, Fine Sill Work, and Porta Romana, creating collections of tableware, fragrance furniture, fabrics, wallpaper, and lighting. Kit's awards include House and Gardens Hotel Designer of the Year, Andrew Martin International Interior Designer of the Year, and Condé Nast Travelers Best Hotel in the World for Design. Kit, thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure. So you do so many things, and a couple of things I already mentioned in the introduction. How do you manage to do all these things simultaneously? Well, um, I think I'm quite lucky because our projects are large, so they can't all be done in a day. (laughs) When you're building a hotel in New York, it can take quite a while. From architects' plans through to the final building can take several years. So the difficulty is that when you start, um, your mind is empty and you get butterflies in your stomach and you're really worried about it. But once you get that sort of kernel of an idea, you're off. And then it's the excitement of actually just completing a project. To manage all those different projects, is planning part of your daily routine? Do you schedule? How do you make that work? I mean, every day is a new day. And uh, I'm so lucky because uh, what I do involves so many different aspects. And so one day I can be looking at uh, an architectural new build. Another day I can be looking at creating some china. Another day I can be looking at carpets and rugs and bed linen. So um, if you'd have told me several years ago that I would be doing all the things that I am today and designing, I would have said, no, that's not possible. But because it's happened gradually and quite organically, I'm able to cope with it and enjoy it very much. And how did it start? Because Kit Camp wasn't always a household name and the Firmdale Hotels weren't always the Firmdale Hotels that they are now. How did you start? 
Um, well, I, I started when, I guess I started working for an architect many, many moons ago. And um, I was actually only making tea and going around with a tape measure. But um, great oaks from little acorns grow. And I started at the bottom. And hopefully now I'm kind of at the top. <laughs> so I would like to talk about your new book, Design Secrets, uh, for a second. What can you tell us about the book? Well, I, I think very often with interiors, um, you're so busy conforming to what everybody else feels you should have that the experience is very underwhelming and the, uh, your finished product can be very disappointing. So I thought with this book, it would be so wonderful to just nudge people in another direction, to put that seed of a new idea in someone's mind. And suddenly just a little seed of an idea can make you look at your whole house, your whole interior, your whole space in a completely different way. And it should be new and exciting. You shouldn't have to conform to other people's ideas. I think the interior should show your character We've lost that time where it's got to be the big designer, the big this, the big that. It's us now. And I think, you know, this last year even more has made us want to create our character, something that says us about us in our homes. And so you are renowned for using, you know, bold patterns and bright colors and just magically <laughs> making it all work. But for mere mortals like us, those things are quite tricky. And I speak from my own experience. It might be difficult to experiment with colors and patterns if you only have one shot at it and you're afraid for this kind of color or pattern clash. So what I would like to ask you is what is one piece of advice you could give to people at home that would help them be more bold with colors and patterns in their own home? Well, I think you can start in a small way and then become more and more experimental. So I think you can start off with bright colored cushions. You can start off then with a statement chair, maybe your favorite chair, instead of just covering it in something very ordinary, cover it in a fabric which is quite joyful and quite different, which will sit beside your fireplace or in front of your television set. And then when you've got one, you'll suddenly find you need two. And then you'll look at the rug on the floor and say, hmm, that looks, doesn't look very happy. It doesn't look cheerful. And so you build up on it like that. And then suddenly, once you've embraced color and character, then you're never going to look back. And it's amazing how much you can spice up your life. <laughs> I think it's actually a great piece of advice to not buy a bunch of things all at once and then just hope they will magically fit well together, but take your time to accumulate things and slowly build an interior. I don't, you see, I don't think interiors should be frantic. You know, they shouldn't. They should actually, at the end of the day, even with color, just be very calming and uh, respectful. And they can be strong and they should have a signature, but it should be really a happy place to sit and be 24 hours a day. Right. And that the interior resembles the individual that lives in it, right? So I think that this book is great for multiple reasons. I also think it's great. It's a great book for different kind of levels of interior designers. It's great for the beginner. Um, so for people like me and other people who are starting to slowly put their interior together, 
but then it's also great for the seasoned interior designer because you use your years and years of experience and then combine that in very useful and unique tips called design secrets. What are your three favorite design secrets in the book? Well, Top Tips is actually one of the characters, one of the chapters. And I think um, using texture within a room, it shouldn't just be one texture. You shouldn't just have linen. You need to have a nobliness of, um, uh, you know, sort of a, maybe a silk, which is like a roughened silk, or you need a good weave. And a weave is much stronger so that it lasts much longer if it's going to sit on your sofa. So all those different textures then give the room a room can be very sort of flat or rather cold unless it's given that texture. So that's one thing. Color is another and how to use color, not to make it too strong or too bold, but you've got to have those spaces in between where it is calm. So there's always that balance. And then also, I think the third top tip would be how to use pictorial patterns, because now there's a whole sort of um, Yes, it's a new thing of using great big murals on the walls, sometimes very large pictorial patterns. So how do you balance your room so that you can make the most of that, have the excitement of something which makes a statement, but at the same time isn't fighting with other things in the room? So one of my favorite design secrets is the idea of creating a collection. Aha, uh -huh. yeah. And the reason why I like this secret a lot and why I like this tip a lot is because I've seen you do it in practice, right? In the Whitby and in your other hotels. What can you tell us about creating a collection? Yeah, just one is, is fun. But suddenly if you get a collection of things, whether it's bowling shoes, as we have done, or even just old meat platters, suddenly you start realizing that I think the secret actually with the old meat platters is always to put them in the same uh, shape so that when you hang them on a wall, they can hang as a block and almost hang as one huge picture, even though there might be 18 plates in it. Um, and uh, the collections don't have to be things that are extremely valuable. They could be keys. You know, suddenly you open a jaw, drawer and there are hundreds of keys from different rooms and homes that you've had. And you can put all these in a frame and they're really quite fascinating to look at. Or even sort of buttons. If you open sort of um, your mother's old sewing basket and there are lots of different buttons and buckles, suddenly putting them as a collection on the wall, they look fascinating and they have a story to tell. And there's always a little bit of history. History. Yeah, and at the same time, it's also it can turn personal items into something stylized and something that makes an impression. So when I was reading the book Design Secrets, a um, little bit of background information, my father was an avid pipe smoker. And when I read your book, I instantly got this idea, and especially the design secret uh, about creating a collection, I instantly had this idea of gathering his old pipes and creating a collection out of them. What a lovely idea. So again, your book, Design Secrets, it's out in the UK, but now also in the US. So I would strongly advise um, the listeners to purchase a copy. So Kit, this book will most definitely, you know, inspire, educate, and inform lots and lots of people. What is a book that inspired you? Oh, which book has inspired me? Well, actually, um, 
it's it's uh, the Bloomsbury Group. And uh, it was actually one of the hotels that I did, Charlotte Street Hotel, which was in Bloomsbury. And um, I was looking up about the history of the area because every project you, you do, you're learning all the time. And this was learning about the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century and a group of people called the Bloomsbury Group who were great intellectuals, artists and writers. And so I think some of the favourite books I've, I've read are about the Bloomsbury Group, Virginia Woolf, Vanessa Bell, her sister. Virginia Woolf was the great writer. Vanessa Bell was a wonderful artist. So between the two, and they were very close as sisters as well. And it was at a time where women really weren't educated. They couldn't go to university. They were meant to stay in the home. And um, so they, they sort of rebelled against everything and went to live in Bloomsbury, which was a part of London at that time where, you know, if you were in a handsome cab, they wouldn't take you to that area. And then they started a club with other artists, a Tuesday club and a Friday club. And then they started the Omega Group. So it must have been such an exciting time getting away from all the restraints of Victorian and Edwardian sort of furry wallpaper and heavy things. And then being inspired by ethnic and um, and European artists like Picasso and Matisse and Cezanne. And so, you know, it must have been a wonderful time. So those are inspiring books for me. So that book served as the inspiration for the Charlotte Street Hotel. Very much. But how did you incorporate that inspiration into the design of the hotel? Well, it is funny because um, I'm known for uh, the art also that we collect in our hotels. You know, we do art talks and art walks, things like that. And at that time, when I was doing it, um, the Bloomsbury Group, they were out of fashion. So I could actually go to auctions and buy their work very reasonably. Maybe not their best, best work, but certainly uh, wonderful sort of um, uh, domestic scenes, uh, wonderful thing, works on boards that Vanessa had done. And then other contemporaries like Henry Lamb at that time, another artist called Walmark, um, Nina Hamnett, um, and all kinds of, and, and also of course, Roger Fry. So I was able to amass the most wonderful, interesting collection of their work. And then I could put them in the hotel. And I always love it because so many our guests, of my guests are, are so much more learned and intellectual than I am. And so I'm learning all the time and I can even put them in contact with each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You founded the Firmdale Hotels with your husband, Tim. But now you're also working with your daughter. So it's almost um, like a family business. <laughs> We do. How did you get your daughters involved? Well, I have I have three daughters. My, my eldest daughter actually just works on the trust and the charity side of things. And then my middle daughter, Willow, um, became, uh, she went to Cambridge and got an architectural degree. And then she went over to Germany and got a, 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 a master's in sculpture. So she understands things in 3D and she's really very good. And then Minnie, the little one, um, she had a degree in graphic design and she's just a hurricane of sort of color. Uh, <laughs> she's just a sort of whirlwind. And when I look at everything she's done, I'm thinking, my God, there's, you know, sort of five rooms all in one here. Let's slow down. But you, there's that wonderful enthusiasm and brightness. So I'm really lucky to have them working, but I have to give them a lot of space because the last thing they want is this 
old bag of a mum telling them what to do all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to ask you about the pitfalls. There are plenty of those. (laughs) I was just wondering what Sunday brunch at the Kemp residence looks like. Do you guys only talk about work? Um, Do you say, okay, this will be, you know, we pick certain days where you actually don't talk about work. How do you approach that? Well, actually, as a matter of fact, we've got uh, we've got four dogs. So um, dogs usually surround my husband because he's the one who actually feeds them all the time. And we always say, I wonder why all the dogs sit in a sunny circle around him. (laughs) And of course, he carves the meat and things like that. And then um, Willow and Minnie are very sporty. And uh, Willow does triathlons and cycles, and Minnie is, is a very good rider. In, in fact, Willow is a brilliant rider too. And um, and actually, Tiffany has a sort of small dog washing business as well, where she grooms dogs. So actually, we've got no time to talk about <laughs> work or business. It's sport for dogs, basically. <laughs> oh, so kids. As you know, this podcast is called The Pivotal Moment, and it's all about those pivotal moments and important moments in the lives of successful and powerful women entrepreneurs. What was a pivotal moment in your life? Yes, I can think of a couple, actually. Um, One is um, Tiffany, my eldest daughter, is slightly disabled. And so when she was born, um, we really had to sort of relook at life and it changed the goalposts for Tim and I. And I think we suddenly got a lot more serious. We were not going to rely on anybody on the state or anybody else. We were gonna make sure that um, Tiffany had everything that was required. And so that was a really sort of huge pivotal point in uh, my career and my marriage and everything. And in fact, it's been, um, it's been a glorious traveling through life, I have to say. Um, some of the things that in life where you expect them to be the worst sometimes turn out to not be the worst at all. And some of the things that you think will be the most glorious, like, you know, winning awards and everything else are really quite empty. So, you know, there are always those sort of jokers in life where you never know what's going to happen next. So that's the sort of pivotal side on my private life. But in my public life and in um, our serious work life, it, it was coming to New York because there's that big pond that divides us, which is the Atlantic. And there, are so <laughs> and there are so many companies which really come to grief. And, um, you know, so we didn't want to be one of them, but um, there was a gap between two buildings. So we thought that we'd fill it. And, and so that's how we started. <laughs> but to go back to your first pivotal moment, when did you find out that Tiffany had a disability? Oh, a pro- it wasn't an immediate thing, actually. It was after about sort of 18 months, we suddenly realized that she had um, she has a very rare blood disorder, but that affects her balance. And um, so things, just the smallest things can be so difficult when you're just a little bit different from everybody else and slower. And um, we never, we always made sure that Tiffy did everything that her sisters did maybe a little bit slower, but she was always um, the eldest one. 
And so they, she always had to be someone that they looked up to as well. But I think it's been fantastic for them because they um, will always defend her enormously. And um, it makes them, I think, better people as well. Right. I think it's very powerful how sometimes these things can pull a family together rather than, you know, ripping it apart. So well done. <laughs> so to go back to crossing that um, terrifying pond, you did make that decision. You uh, crossed the pond and you expanded your brand successfully. Why didn't you start by expanding in Europe, let's say in Paris or Amsterdam, <laughs> vested interest? Oh, why didn't you do that first? Well, it, it's we did try. We we actually tried a little bit in Paris and and, and looked in Europe, uh, but we never quite found the right building. And it, it was so wonderful because even when we were very small and just had a couple of hotels, uh, we we always had lots of Americans who really enjoyed staying with us. And so there was always this this wonderful sort of symbiosis of 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 uh, New York, California, and London. And uh, so I think that's probably what brought us over to um, the capital of New York. <laughs> I still think it's such a brave step because there are so many companies that came from the UK that didn't last. For example, Topshop and Tesco. Did you change anything about the design of, the, of your hotels to cater to the different needs of the American consumer? Um, no, not really. I didn't. I came over and looked and looked. And I always loved the idea of um, for the Crosby Street, which was very sort of artistic area. And uh, I love the idea of a sort of salon idea where people who are a bit creative could get together. And so uh, I started off with the idea of art inspired by the written word for how the lobby would feel and how it would feel when you came through the door. Um, and then when I started walking around, I couldn't get over all these extraordinary dogs that I saw in the streets. And I thought, where are they all living? And it would be great to take photographs of them. <laughs> and even more now, in the last year, I've seen even more dogs. It's just incredible. Everybody has one. Every shape and size, you know, whether they've got dreadlocks or whether they, they're sort of British bulldogs or whether they're little snappy terriers, they're all there. And so I was suddenly hijacked by that idea. And, you know, it's funny, just the simplest things. Yeah, that's it. I sent my girls, some of my team around to take photographs. And I had this wonderful idea of having glorious shoes, like high heeled shoes, and then these immaculate dogs looking very Manhattan and Fifth Avenue. And what happened was, I got all these pictures back. Everybody in New York in summer was wearing flip-flops. So, <laughs> so I had lots of interesting dogs, but lots of flip-flops. So it wasn't quite what I was looking for. And I felt that uh, with the Whitby, I just wanted to create this little magical world when you came through the door, which would take you away from that little bite of the city sometimes. And, you know, you should be able to forget that. And then suddenly you can relax and you can feel your shoulders sort of go down about that much. <laughs> I realize now that I've never talked to you about my first experience in one of the Ferndale hotels. And I, <laughs> I think it's important that I do. So I was 21 at the time. I was dancing as a contemporary ballet dancer in London and I was dating someone and he took me 
to the Soho Hotel. And it was the very first time that I had ever set foot in a five-star hotel. So you can imagine that an experience like that can be daunting and not very comfortable for a person like me at that time. But the nice thing about the Soho Hotel was that it had this unique combination of very high-level service, but not the intimidation or the fake prestige that some other five-star hotels have. And I felt comfortable, I felt welcomed, and I felt at home. And I think that's such an important element of the Firmdale Hotels. How do you ensure that you have that unique combination? You know, when you're doing something like a hotel, it, it, it's a complete lifestyle. And so every different department has to work equally. There's no use in arriving in a room which looks wonderful and then you ring for room service and it doesn't come. Or you send your shirt or your beautiful dress to be laundered and it doesn't arrive back when you wish for it to do so. So and so everything has to work together. So it has to have a unity. And also, you know, you have to be hands-on. And, uh, and also training. We have a whole separate building, which is all about training as well. So all these things combined, and because you can't do everything, so your team is so important, um, uh, all this working together, is, it makes it wonderful. But also, you know, there always has to be that sort of slight fantasy involved. You always has to have to feel, maybe I'll meet somebody interesting Maybe I'll see something around the corner. Maybe I'll draw, be drawn to look at something just around the way. And, you know, all those feelings uh, are something which keep the adventure in travel. And I think so often we forget about that adventure. You know, you're on a huge jumbo jet going somewhere and you're taken in a taxi or a bus and you, you never get that feel of your environment. You never get that feeling of a sense of arrival. And so, of course, that's what we're trying to achieve all the time. I think that's so true. So Kit, you design private homes as well as hotels. What is the difference between the two? Uh, what I would do is almost like a, you have to like my style. And I would say this to anybody who wants to commission any work. I mean, get to know the person or get to know the work of the person that you're commissioning because there's no point in trying to put them in an arm lock and get them to do something that they're not happy with. So uh, first of all, I would say with, with my work, you must know my look and so there will be a signature to it. But then it's the com combination of, um, you know, the husband and the wife because very often you'll get a husband who um, he either wants mid-century modern or absolutely no colour at all. And then you'll get a wife who wants something organic and sizal. And <laughs> it's how do you combine that? I mean, and if you get it right, it's the most glorious feeling. And, and we've just finished installing a house in Westchester, which is really exciting to look at, really different, doing things sometimes that I wouldn't normally do, but it's kind of come off. So there's that wonderful feeling of completion and knowing that this family are going to have many happy years in this glorious house. But when you design hotels, though, do you have the feeling that it needs to be just a little bit blander to cater to different needs? 
no i don't actually and sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes i get told off for that because you know some of the rooms will be slightly more powerful than others and i might get the manager saying oh i don't think people are going to like this but then they're amazed because they do i mean people are very i love the way that everybody has an open mind everybody is quite curious every now and again then you might get it slightly wrong but uh, most of the time people are there and they don't want to see the things that they necessarily always see at home they want to have their eyes opened a little and you know if i've got some tired businessman who's really not worrying about his surroundings if he can then suddenly want to ask questions and be entranced uh, and maybe opening his eyes to something a little bit different um, then i've succeeded this actually reminds me of the very first time I came in contact with one of your other designs, so one of your smaller designs, so not interior design, but this was a collaboration you had done with Wedgwood. You have created Chinaware for them. At that point, I didn't know. I was at the Whitby and I was having quite a serious meeting about my taxes, I think. And I was drinking a cappuccino. Um, I was almost finished. I glanced down at my cup and at the bottom of my cup, I could see this figure waving at me and <laughs> I remember it so vividly because I just thought this is brilliant this is so good <laughs> oh thank you I mean that's so lovely to hear and it's like putting a little tiny fish at the bottom of your milk jug you know <laughs> there is a little bit of the child in all of us I feel we never kind of grow out of things like that we should always have a sense of wonder <laughs> And the funny thing was that the person across from me didn't even know what was happening. So it was this internal moment and I just thought it was fantastic. So comparable to that collaboration you did with Wedgwood, you've done tons and tons of collaborations with brands and artists. What makes you say yes to a collaboration? Well, um, sometimes I think, my goodness, I wonder if I can do it. And but it's that excitement. It's that first of all, I'm flattered because they've asked me and very often. Uh, well, not very often, but occasionally it's companies that I have revered, you know, when I was younger, growing up, Wilton Carpets is like the oldest carpet company in the world. And um, to then be asked to do a collection for them, Wedgwood, similarly, is is a wonderful old company. So it's it's glorious and, and, and fine quality. Um, at the moment, I'm working with Annie Selke, which is a, a she's an American a uh, fabulous woman, actually, and we're doing um, a, car a carpet, um, a bed linen, um, rugs and uh, cushion collection with her. And so um, that has been wonderful because we're doing a London collection, New York collection and a Barbados collection. So we've got those fabulous kind of crop over wild Caribbean colours and then qu uh, really quite adventurous New York one and then London maybe a little bit duller. Um, but it, it's uh, so that's been fantastic. And we're still working on that. That's going to come out later on. Just on the lighting collection with Porta Romana, uh, because I liked the idea of mobile my mobiles that hang in the room, which also light up. So you know, it's those sort of ideas suddenly that we can take a step further. Um, and um, yeah, no, I'm always going to be open to any sort of suggestion, really, because you're suddenly it's all creative and it's it's 
it's yeah i love that that mix if i can and my team as well can every day be looking at something in a creative way and it's important to do something creative every day it doesn't matter who you are and so for us it's just another opportunity to do craft because it's not i sometimes think it's not decorating a room it's kind of crafting a room really it's a crafting a room for a certain look and and um yeah going from there and your hotels and interior design work also includes a lot of art and craftsmanship. How do you find the artists and craftsmen that you work with? We always have a few pieces that would be by artists who are extremely well known and that's that sort of holds the building together. But there's something really playful about then having works of art and commissioning people who may be younger um, and, and there's always a lot of soul in that. You know, it might not be as perfect, but it, it has a feeling to it and an authenticity. Um, I, I think that you need to have that, you need to have a sort of jolt when you're looking at an interior of something. If you go in a room and it's all filled with the most fabulous art of Picasso's and da, 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 whatever, it's really boring. But if you mix it, if you have that balance of something strong and something lighter, watercolor, just that simplicity, suddenly you have time to take it all in. And it's important to be able to do that. And um, so I love that mix. And the wonderful thing is that it's every age group. I mean, with craft, some people really find their footing quite late in life. There's this wonderful artist called Colin Millington, who does a lot of wool work. And, you know, he's in his 70s or 80s and he started off as a sailor at sea and then went into a junk shop and found some of these lovely woolworks. And then he and his wife decided to start making their own. And now he's collected by museums. Um, and it's wonderful to find people like that. And then it's lovely to find very young people who, I mean, Natasha Hulse and Cleo Pepiata, two young, young designers, and they didn't start out in interiors, um, but I thought their work was so beautiful, so multimedia that it would be wonderful to do headboards and, and various things with them. Also, Pippa Cayley is another one. And um, suddenly I've opened their ideas. It, they were using the wrong fabrics as a backing. They were maybe using slightly different colors, things like that. So just pointing them in a different direction, suddenly now they're off. And I couldn't even afford to use them anymore. <laughs> Well, I guess I have to be glad <laughs> and find others. Well, we have to find others. <laughs> so apart from these artists and designers or fabrics and patterns, what inspires you? I think um, being inspired, it's, it's all about other people. It's meeting other people who love what they do. And if you meet people who love what they do, you're suddenly inspired. You might not like huge old tapestries, but if you meet somebody who knows everything, who's a world expert and he talks about it so incredibly, uh, suddenly it's opening your eyes to it. So it's people, <clears throat> it's other people who give me inspiration. Speaking of other people, you must have had role models too. Who were they? What was your relationship to them? Did you ever meet them? Well, actually, um, I was lucky enough to, to meet someone that I, I really loved, and that was uh, an artist called Sandra Blow. 
and she was one of the Cornwall artists. And uh, I met her very late in her life, actually, when she was living in St. Ives and still living like a bohemian. Um, I mean, but she just had some huge studio, but then she was living in in a little single bed with just a little duvet cover. And then she would we would climb up these steps and then she had a little sort of scout sort of posts where she could look out to see and things like that. And um, I saw her just right at the end of her life, actually. And I remember we uh, I was with uh, two of my daughters and also with a friend. And we all went down to the beach and it was in the evening and we danced. And uh, it was so nice just on the beach. Um, rather like, you know, the Owl and the Pussycat, the, by the light of the moon, they danced. <laughs> and so that was wonderful to actually meet somebody. And she had been, um, she had been painting um, during the, the war years, and she was actually at the College of Art. And she said, you know, we used to hear these bombs outside, but it never stopped us. We just kept on painting. She definitely sounds like an interesting woman to have a drink with. She was, she was wonderful, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a picture of her right here. There she is. <laughs> right at the end of her life. And very huge sort of abstract paintings and things she painted. But always so full of life. She was just fabulous. I love her. What would you say you've learned from her? Um, actually, I, I loved it because uh, there was a book that was published by Caroline Wiseman and it was all about artists and then seeing their art hung when they'd sold it somewhere else. And so Caroline decided to have the um, sort of launch of her book actually at the Soho Hotel. And we had Sandra Blow sitting in one wing chair and then he had Craigie Aitchison, who's another artist sitting in the other. And uh, Sandra came to stay the night there. And, you know, she was in her 70s. And I always remember saying, you know, gosh, she said, I just wish I'd brought one of my lovers with me, she said. <laughs> and I thought, fabulous. You know, there she is. You know, it's you're never too late to to turn a corner. It's never too late to start again. Just go for it, Sandra. And uh, so I love that. It's that love of life. She was never going to give up. But that's also what I love about women. You know, the day before they die, they can be talking about having a perm. You know, <laughs> we're just all so vain. <laughs> but that's, that's yeah, right. that's okay. Um, yeah. I think a lot of women still struggle with the idea of having kids and having a career. You did both successfully. What was different about your approach? How did you handle that? Um, I was in my 30s. So um, I had had a fantastic sort of, um, you know, sort of time to enjoy myself. But I was never going to give up what I love. Um, everything is like a, a sort of addition to my life in a way. So, I, and I think that would be my hint to to all women actually: just don't give it up. I mean, put it on the back burner. And and this is why actually um, uh, I, I'm very happy uh, working with someone who is just doing a little of what they're doing at the moment. Because you know, if you're a woman, you have this time where your children are very young, so you have to keep a lot of balls in the air. And then suddenly you've got time for yourself again and it comes back up again. But to cut it out, it's so difficult to start again. So just always keep it going, even if it just has to, to slow down a little bit at one time. I think, I mean, obviously you need a really good person who can help out too. You know, when I had uh, a fantastic nanny um, and so there, there was always somebody there. 
But, you know, I was never going to be a really full-time mother because I just love what I do. And I, I couldn't have done that all the time. So that's just me. We're all different, you know. What piece of advice would you give to female creative entrepreneurs who are currently listening to this podcast? Well, there are a whole lot of creative entrepreneurs out there. And I, you know, they sure as hell don't need my advice because I think the wonderful thing is that when you're young, you've got that arrogance of youth. So don't listen to anybody. They're always going to tell you you can't do it. But just keep on. Just say there's a way through and I'm going to find it. And don't let someone stop you halfway through a job. You've got to say, wait, just hold on. Let me complete it. Let you, let, I just want you to see it when it's finished. And then there's a balance to it. But if you start listening to everybody on all sides, you know, you're never going to have that true line of thought and you're never going to be true to yourself. So be true to yourself. Be arrogant. Tell them to just go away, come back. And I have this plan and I'm going to see it through. <laughs> Kid, my last question for you. If you could have drinks with anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be? Do you know, I think it would be Salvador Dali. I think that he was a genius. I mean, he really was the most wonderful artist. Things went a little awry throughout his life. But I think he was the first person that actually even, you know, before Andy Warhol really understood about um, celebrating celebrity. And uh, he was extremely witty. And uh, he also didn't take life so incredibly seriously. Um, I think at the end, he was copied and derided a little bit. And But I would love to have met him. And I would also like to have met his, his wife, Gala. I think she was a wonderful woman too. <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. It's been wonderful speaking to you. 